Hi, you're listening to my mom, Kat Lee, on the Inspired to Action podcast. Hey, can I listen to it? Hi, my name is Kat Lee, and I want to welcome you to the Inspired to Action podcast. I hope this show is the pep talk that you need as a mom, a reminder that what you do every day is life-changing, and that it matters more deeply than you could ever imagine. Out of all the women in the world, God chose you to be the mother of your children. Because you are unique and amazing, and he has called you, and he will equip you. So thank you for serving your family, for loving your children fearlessly, and for fighting to be a great mom. This episode is for you. Let's jump right in. So I don't know if you're on the Inspired to Action email list, but I recently shared that the Inspired to Action podcast, this one you're listening to right now, is taking a hiatus. With my first traditionally published book, Hello Mornings, releasing in about two months and just the busyness of three kids and homeschooling one of them and just life in general, something uh, needed to pause. I couldn't do everything. None of us can. Um, but the good news is, is that I'm going to keep on encouraging you as moms, and I would love for you to get on that email list. You can go to inspiredtoaction.com forward slash friends, and I'll keep uh, sending you fun things that I find, maybe interviews that I do, and I'll let you know when the podcast comes back. And in the meantime, I'm going to be continuing and really diving deep into my new podcast, Hello Mornings, and we have some really incredible interviews coming up on there with um, people like Jess Conley and Katie Davis. Uh, If you don't know who she is off the top of your head, she is the 19-year-old who moved to Uganda, started an amazing ministry called Amazima, and that helps like hundreds of children go to school every single day. And she also adopted 13 children at the age of 19 crazy. She's got an amazing story. She's in her late 20s now. She's married and she has 14 children. And I got a chance to interview her and it was so powerful. So I would love for you to check out the Hello Mornings podcast. Subscribe to it. Join us. I have a lot of encouragement coming up for you as moms and then just for women in general. Um, We also over at the Hello Mornings podcast have an audio version of our most recent Bible studies. So basically you can just listen I read scripture in those podcasts, and I share a devotional based on that scripture from some of our writers. And there's also just different action steps that you can take. So we read the scripture, we do the devotional, and then there's questions like how you can dive deeper into scripture. So you can listen. It can kind of jumpstart your time with the Lord in the morning. Again, that's the Hello Mornings podcast, and I would love it. Love it if you would join us there. Uh, And don't forget to go to inspiredtoaction.com forward slash friends so that we can be sure to stay in touch. So today we're talking about building and strengthening our family around the dinner table with the always, always inspiring Sally Clarkson. I'm sure you know about her. If you don't, she's an incredible writer. She has written so many books for moms, and I highly encourage you to just go and order all of them because truly they're so inspiring. And it's not that she's in the midst of motherhood right now with with little ones. She's been there and done that. She has four amazing grown children and she's sharing the wisdom along the way. And so I just love our conversation today. Um, I'm not really much of a cook, but I'm always amazed that the power of a good meal, just to pull everyone away from everything that they're doing around the different corners of my house. And it brings us all together at the dinner table. And Sally's going to share how we can really make the most of those times together, because 
as much as we lament that our kids actually need to eat three times a day, and it just seems like we constantly need to be making food, it is a powerful time that we can really just, with a few small things, make such an integral and important part of our family and our togetherness. So stay tuned for our chat with Sally. But first, I want to tell you about a great way that you can make mealtime so much easier. There's a service called Prep Dish, and it's a meal planning service, and it takes really all the guesswork out of what to cook each week, out of making the grocery list and figuring out how to find the time to cook and all that stuff. Because what they do is they send you your meal list. They send you an itemized shopping list and a checklist that shows you how to prep all your meals for the week in just an hour or so on the weekend. And I love this because that way when, you know, the week rolls around and we have all the different things that we need to go to every single night, it literally takes just a few minutes to put dinner together and throw it in the oven and then have a nice, healthy, warm meal on the table that we can all gather around and we can use Sally's wisdom from today to really make the most of that dinner time. So if you go to inspiretoaction.com forward slash prep dish, you can actually get two weeks free from prep dish. So that means if you just go there and you just get their two free weeks right now, you don't have to think about meal planning or your shopping list or how to get it all done for the next two weeks. So go there, inspiretoaction.com forward slash prep dish. So let's dive in now to our conversation with Sally Clarkson and really as she shares about the impact that those meal times can have on our families. Hey, Sally, thank you so much for being on the Inspired to Action podcast. I am so happy to be with you. You're one of my favorite people, as you know, Kat. (laughs) Thank you, Sally. Same to you. Uh, So I want to hear a little bit about what dinner time is like around your table at your house when all your kids are home. Oh, my goodness. Uh, I have been reminded again this summer. I've had my kids home for the past three weeks, uh, my four kids and a son-in-law, and the table it practically lifts off the floor. It's so <laughs> loud and opinionated and people are sharing and talking and uh, engaging in every possible idea from movies to music to issues to world events. And um, I've really, I'm so excited about telling people about how to create that environment because I, I really think our table was one of the most influential uh, foundations of who my children became than anything else we have ever cultivated or done. So where did that start? So if we back up to, you know, kids rejecting Cheerios and kids not wanting <laughs> to eat the green beans in front of them, mm-hmm. what did the table look like back then? Well, I think it started before that, actually. I uh, I was a, a missionary many years ago uh, in Eastern Europe and in Vienna, And I began to realize that uh, over a single cup of coffee or uh, a simple bowl of soup, uh, having people over to my house or meeting them in a cafe meant that it opened, it naturally opened a relationship. It was a place where people could come together. Everybody loves eating. And uh, inviting someone to my table was saying, I want to know you better. Let's be friends. So I automatically assumed that that's what I needed to do in my home. And uh, I remember the first time I had a very intentional, we are going to have Sunday afternoon tea times where we're going to eat something wonderful and be together and, and, and say meaningful things. 
uh, one child spilled their glass of whatever it was, juice or milk or whatever, uh, or a little tippy cup on the other one. The lid came off. The other one started crying. It was just havoc. And I thought, is this ever going to matter? Oh, my goodness, this is crazy. But I think having in my mind that uh, the grid of my mind uh, was that relationships matter. They have to be intentionally formed for me to really be able to pass on my values and my faith to my children. I have to first establish a foundation of relationship. And one day I was probably overwhelmed by one more meal and I counted out and I said, okay, if my kids eat just three meals a day, let alone the snacks, and if they are here 365 days eating meals. And then if they stay an average of 18 years, and all of a sudden, I realized that was over 19,000 times we were going to eat together. Mm. <laughs> and um, so when I, I looked at that, and I thought, if every time I came to the table, 19,000 times, that's pretty significant. What can I do little by little to cultivate rhythms, habits, manners, relationship skills, and a, to pass on to my children a place of belonging and a people to be a part of and the messages we believed in. So it was kind of a, it developed, but it was there right at the beginning. I love that. You know, just a couple of days ago, I guess my son, as I was getting dinner ready, he was like, mom, can we sit at the table and eat? Because I think for a couple of weeks with school starting, we were, had kind of weird schedules with different people's practices. And then the U.S. Open tennis tournament was on. And so we were wanting to kind of watch that. Sure. And so we we're sitting in the living room a lot or eating a little bit more sporadically, trying to get people places and that sort of thing. And he just kept saying, Mom, can, can we just sit around the table like we used to, used to, you know, oh, no. <laughs> like three weeks before or whatever. And yeah. it just struck me how important that was to him, you know, enough mm. for him to notice, enough for him to, you know, request it. And yes. I, I love that, that even to a 10 year old boy, Mm -hmm. everybody gathering together and sitting around the table and talking mm -hmm. about our highs and our lows or whatever is so meaningful and so powerful that, that it's something that he wants to call out that, Hey, we're not doing this. Let's, let's get back to doing this. I um, think uh, so important. I love that. So, you know, although, you know, sometimes we sit down and I have the best of intentions, let's have some great conversation right. and you know, it, it goes crazy or whatever. How do you handle when you have the great intentions, you know, maybe let's have a great feast. And, you know, I don't know if this happened with your family or not. Let's do this great thing. And you have, you're excited about it. You have these great intentions. And then you sit down and it doesn't work out at all like you wanted to. And mm -hmm. then it happened, you know, and then it happens again later. How do you keep pushing through? I think that uh, you, you have to cultivate your own vision and ideals for why this is important. And uh, you have to keep going to that place in your heart over and over again. And and I would say some of the most important components are, I want to create as a conductor of the life in my home, I want to create a place of love. And I want to teach that and go back to it over and over again. You may not speak this way. How could you have said that more kindly? Um, we love each other in this in this home. And this is the place we're going to celebrate that. Do you need to go out and talk with me about this? So, um, you know, it, you, you cultivate the idea that you want to create a place of love and belonging. You have to be the one who has a good attitude. You have to be the one who, uh, whether we had Cheerios or Chateaubriand, we lit candles, put on music, 
And we said, this is a time we're all going to stop and be together. And um, I think that uh, I love the verse, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. Hmm. Because I think that it's uh, children tend to breathe the oxygen of our rituals into their lives, the things we do over and over and over again. And we may not think they're getting it, and we may not think they even enjoy it. I remember um, for years, in, in the, especially in the junior high and teenage years, my uh, two of my kids, two of my boys, um, were exactly opposite. And they would fuss and argue and debate and never agree on anything. And I thought, are we ever just going to have a meal where everybody gets along? And a few years ago, uh, both of them were living away. One was in uh, in New York and one was in Boston. And both of them wrote me and said, I just can't wait to come home. Uh, and I, I, wrote, I said, you know, I texted back and I said, why? And both of them said, I love to be with my people. I love to sit at our table and feast and eat and be friends. And I miss that community that we developed over all those years. Well, it really spoke to me because I realized that there was never probably a moment in which our table was perfect ever. But the fact that we intentionally met together, ate, and I, Clay and I were were cultivating that life was very important to them as kids, even when they couldn't communicate it or act like it was. I love that. And, you know, it makes me think of my own childhood and the small things that maybe my grandma did. Like every Saturday morning, we we spent the weekends at my grandparents' house. Every Saturday morning, she would have a cut grapefruit. Uh, We lived in South Texas, so they were, you know, readily available. And um, we would have a cut grapefruit waiting for us when we woke up and came to the kitchen table. And for some reason, that one small thing (laughs) is very comforting to me. And we still have the same bowls, actually, that she used. And so, you know, when it comes to grapefruit season, at least for a few days, I Mm -hmm. love doing that for my kids. Then I get a little tired of cutting the grapefruit and I'm like, okay, kids, this is, this is how you cut your grapefruit. But but just that, that small thing uh, is, is kind of, you know, burned into, into my memory. And so I have this, this sweet place for Saturday Mm -hmm. mornings and a fresh grapefruit. And, and, you know, it wasn't anything fancy. It wasn't anything big, but just something that happened consistently. And I love the idea of creating that vision and, and that you said that we as moms are the conductor. Mm-hmm. Of yeah. that. I love that. Yeah. And I, I think that there are a lot of things in um, motherhood and in any relationships that you have to take by faith. And you have to do them because you believe they're the right thing to do. But um, I think that uh, I was, I had both my girls on the podcast, on my podcast uh, a couple of weeks ago. And they both said, you know, we came to the table expecting that you wanted to hear what we had to say that you valued it. And so we developed this, this place in our heart that felt like, Oh, I matter. My thoughts matter. My ideas matter. Even from the time they were little kids. And I, I was so happy to hear them say that because I think that, uh, children are always going to bubble over and have strong personalities and uh, complain a little bit about whatever vegetable they have to eat. That's just a part of the warp and woof of a normal table. But, what their souls and hearts need are to feel like they have a people to belong to and that their thoughts matter or 
their hurts, their heartbreaks matter, or their birthdays matter. That um, when you cultivate over a long period of time, those values, I think especially uh, we're living in such an isolationist culture where people are dependent on fast food and on multimedia, you know, their phones, their internet, their computer, and uh, Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. And People tend to look for relationships there, but there is no substitute for uh, face-to-face, holding somebody's hand, looking at them, giggling at their story. There's no substitute for a human, uh, a real human relationship that can develop deep roots. And so I think that it's important for us as women to understand that especially in this generation and time of uh, internet and social media, we have got to model for our children, I'm going to stop what I'm doing. I'm going to listen to you. I'm going to engage with you because you are very important to me. And just eating, because God made us all to love to eat, and we have to eat to stay alive, just eating together on a regular basis, even if it's two or three times a week, Stopping and being personal is what's going to communicate to our children that human beings matter. And communicating and learning to say loving words matters because we practiced it over and over and over again. So good. So good. So I'm assuming no phones at the dinner table. Nope. Okay. Uh, just, just just throwing that out there just to make sure that, that, that we say that. Yeah. Uh, no, we... We uh, are definitely a, um, and and whoever is on their phone or is doing something at the dinner table uh, is definitely chastised by everybody else through either looks or sarcasm or (laughs) something strong enough to say, no, at our table, we're going to be together. So this is actually something that we encounter sometimes is books at the table. Is that a no-no as well? Or how did, how did you handle that? I don't know if your kids are ever engrossed in a book and, and say it's like breakfast and maybe dad's reading the newspaper or, um, we're not even really very talkative, maybe because it's early in the morning. Mm -hmm. Did you allow books at the dinner table, be it breakfast or dinner or whatever? Uh, we didn't. Um, we kind of made our dinner time, uh, a sacred time where even if it was short, 15, 20 minutes, that we just all had the habit of saying, we're going to come eat together, talk, be friends, and you will have plenty of time. Because when you're engrossed in something alone, like a book or a phone or any, or a newspaper, um, you have to decide which meals you're going to set apart for making them special. But when you're engrossed in something like that, it automatically says to everyone else, I am going to focus my attention on this. And I'm not going to be focusing my attention on you. Mm-hmm. And so it breaks up the community uh, atmosphere. I love that. That's so good. So what about the mom who really doesn't like to cook? Mm-hmm. How does she create this atmosphere? How does she make mealtime special when cooking feels like a huge chore? Yeah, I, I think we are living in such an unusual time. We have access to great food and fast food and organic food and, uh, you know, greasy food, whatever you prefer. (laughs) Um, I don't think it's about, uh, I I mean, nutrition is a whole different subject, so I'm not going to go there. But I think what I'm talking about in my book, though I do have a lot of fun recipes that my kids loved and obviously cooking at home is cheaper when you have as many kids as I have. But, um, It's really more about 
the relationships that take place there, the tradition of establishing that human beings matter because we're spending time with them. And so whether a mom gets a, you know, something from a fast food Mexican restaurant or a sandwich place or just eats a bowl of cereal, it doesn't really matter. I, what I'm really wanting to say is that everybody eats. We have to eat to stay alive. We eat thousands of times. How can you turn on a regular basis the rhythm of your table time into that place to build friendships, to come with an attitude of gratefulness, to choose not to complain and know that um, souls are shaped there. I have, uh, oddly, by God's grace, I have um, kids that are studying in um, Oxford and St. Andrews, and they all went to uh, some great universities. Nathan, who didn't go to college, has written movies, and he's engaged in writing books and stuff. And people say, what did you do? What school did they go to? What curriculum did you use? And I really have realized in the past few years that it was our table that really shaped my children more than anything else because we uh, we helped our kids become articulate by by giving them the opportunity to talk and to engage in great ideas. We would bring ideas to the table. We'd talk about artists, musicians, worldview, religious uh, topics, uh, scripture. I did, uh, for me, every morning, I did our devotionals either at breakfast or right after breakfast. So the kids could still be nibbling on something or drinking something. But we started our day eating together or drinking together and talking about uh, the Word of God and talking about our faith in God. And then imagine if you were eating, you know, multiple meals together every day. And think what it does to a child if over, like, say, 19,000 times or 10,000 times as a family before you started eating, you thanked God. Or you, at the end of your meal, you prayed that God would bless you that day. That habit of bowing your knee before God is something that goes deeply into their little hearts and souls. And so the rest of their lives, it'll immediately come to their brain, I really need to thank God for what He's done today. Mm. And um, it's it's those habits that create the intellect, the righteousness, the manners. And um, I think seeing the importance of establishing routines, rhythms, and habits are what really shape the places in our children's brains that they're going to go to the rest of their lives. Mm-hmm. And the table is such a natural place to do it because we all have to eat. We all have right, to eat. And we love to eat. Right, right. Multiple times a day. And I love what you had said earlier, too, about, you know, whether you're eating Cheerios or whatever, just putting um, some music on and setting out some candles. And it creates, as you say that, honestly, I just kind of feel like um, it creates like this little... This little, this little nook, this this space right. that is very other from the rest of our busy LED lighted right. world. Exactly, and it 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 says, okay, we're going to stop every day because this is really sacred. This place where we share together, and that's why we did it, um, and that's why we still do it. And if I don't light the candles or put on music, someone else does. So, how do you foster talking at the table? So long day, kids are tired, maybe mm-hmm. they just have, you know, not yeah. a lot to say. How do you foster that? I think that um, every table has to have somebody who decides to be the conductor of life. I talked about that a little bit earlier, but um, because I valued what was going to happen there, I had to decide ahead of time that uh, there are certain things that matter in friendships. One of them is to cultivate a good friendship. You have to be an initiator. 
I love you. How was your day? I'm so sorry that you had an issue with so-and-so. Can you tell daddy about it or let's talk about it? I've taught my kids to ask each other's qu- each other questions. Uh, in the book, we have uh, a list of questions at the back of the book, um, some things to create table talk. Uh, but I think that good conversation is often cultivated by the person who's willing to perceive the other people's needs at that moment and then to engage in it. If they need uh, something funny, then then read a joke or a funny thing that you read that day and lighten the conversation. If they need comfort, then come together as a family and comfort them. Um, you know, that must have been terrible when you broke your leg. We're going to spoil you because you mattered to us. Or, uh, you know, understanding that if you want your children to value thinking clearly about Scripture, then over long periods of time, of course, People with little kids want to do it all at that moment. But at that moment, you're just trying to teach them how to sit in the seat for 10 minutes. Right. Um, and, and that's a part of training. Um, but as they get older, uh, of course, the little ones follow the older ones. I remember that uh, when Joy was three and started talking, she would speak for 10 minutes without stopping because she had been growing up around all these older people talking. And um, so you're creating the rhythm, the environment, and uh, it becomes the oxygen that they breathe, and that ends up shaping what they think and what they value. Mm, So good. So good. So one of my favorite little nuggets from your book is where you talk about survival versus sustainability. Mm -hmm. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about what you mean by that? Uh, I think you have to uh, and I, I don't remember exactly which chapter you're in. <laughs> oh, I mean, the, the, the living out grace, just where you talk about, you know, because it, it can be so hard to you know, maybe feel a little overwhelmed or guilty about the fact that maybe we're not creating this environment for our family. And and so it's where you're talking about just, um, you know, survival thinking is kind of just desperation and doing whatever we can. But then sustainability is kind of the longer view. And I love, I don't know, I just love how you point that out. And that those are different things. Well, I think that um, we can either react to life, and all of us have times uh, when you, you know you have three kids that have uh, some kind of virus. <laughs> you, you give up your ideals at that moment. You're just survival. Uh, there are times when all you're doing is is living through another day, and all of us have times like that. And maybe we have months like that at different times. But I think that um, sustainable. Uh, living is saying what is realistic for our family. Uh, for instance, in my children's uh, teen years, they started having a lot more activities and going places. So I chose two or three times a week where I knew we would all be together and I would make it fun. We had we had pizza nights where everybody could bring their friends and we, we would watch movies together. We had Sunday morning feasts where I would bribe them to come to the table with caffeine and, and wonderful meals. And we always had a, a devotional together then. Um, but basically, sustainability is making a plan for how you're going to do meals, what you're going to serve, um, and making it applicable to the season of life that you're in. And then you... you uh, you kind of think through your goals again the next season. But, um, you know, sometimes I, I would always, um, I'm a bread maker. If I could do nothing else in life, I could make a loaf of bread. But I usually made about six at once, or you can buy six loaves of bread. But a lot of times when we were all overwhelmed, we would just make what we call a snack meal. It would be 
um, some kind of homemade bread or, or good bread from the store, a little bit of cheese or turkey or whatever you want, uh, nuts, fruit, popcorn. And everybody would throw that part together. And we thought it was just the best meal in the world. Um, I would keep things in the in the freezer for uh, moments when I thought, if our lives fall apart, I have a plan. Like either cookie dough balls for the child who needed their own personal tea time or uh, pizzas that were on sale that I could just throw in the oven and not worry about it. But it's more important that we make a plan that is acceptable to us than that we try to please what we think are cultural standards. Mm. That's so good. Yeah, I love just making a giant batch of chicken noodle soup or chili mm. or whatever, and then just putting it into separate little things in the freezer so that I know. Yes, yes. Whatever may happen, I can just pull that out and we can have that for dinner. Right, um, right. It just, it, it, you know, because sometimes trying to be intentional about mealtime can feel overwhelming just 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 the sheer act of feeding the family so then I know. to add we're on, doing dishes right, paper right. plates are totally acceptable yes <laughs> yes we have been investing in paper plates in this book writing season so you know i just i, I love just that idea that we can acknowledge where we're at and we can adjust to what we do and how we do it so that we can still be meeting those priority goals of let's bring our family together. Let's connect and we can adjust paper plates or we can adjust frozen pizzas or whatever it needs to be. But our number one priority is our family and connecting with the family. And we don't need to just try to do everything in a season when we can't. Right. And I, I do think that in this lonely isolationist world, at least that's my world. A lot of people writing me about not having friends or moving a lot or whatever. Um, it's been real important for my adult kids. They have just come from two came from Oxford. Uh, one came from Scotland, another moved here from New York. And, um, all of them say, I love being home because I have a place I belong and a people who love me. Mm -hmm. And, uh, when you build that anchor, into your day. This is what we do. This is who we are. It's kind of like building a quiet time into your life. It becomes for them something that they will always say, no matter what, I have this anchor of a table where I have a people that I belong to. I love that. So it's actually ironic as you're telling me that as we're talking, my daughter who I'm homeschooling this year just texted me and said, I have some banana bread ready just out of the oven. If you want some, oh. <laughs> can I come? I want some too. <laughs> so appropriate. So what I would love for you to tell us a little bit about the tea times that you have with your kids. I love hearing about those and I think it's such a special idea and I've had fun just kind of recreating those with my kids. And it's, and it's funny because even with my teenagers, I mean, it, you yes. can connect no matter the age because there's something wonderful about just your kids getting that one-on-one -on -one time with you and it involving some fun treat. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, I think because I lived in Europe and they in the country I was living in, in Austria, they called it Yauze, and everybody stopped sometime between 2 or 3 o'clock, had a cup of some kind of great caffeine, coffee, tea, could be hot chocolate, could be whatever, Coke, <laughs> or whatever they wanted. And they would stop and um, and take a time, a pause in the day. And then, of course, in England, where uh, most of my kids have gone to school at one point or another, um, they have tea time. And basically, you stop and you have your cup of tea. And I, I realized that 
again, it's a very civilized habit. Uh, when my kids were little, I would uh, bribe them to be in their rooms. I would give them a little snack, a little book, a little book on table, something, a toy that they could only use during that time. And I would set the timer for 15 or 20 minutes and have my own one-woman tea time. Um, but then as they got older, uh, they just love stopping for that little uh, treat in the afternoon. And I, you know, it's really funny, but everybody says, well, you don't have tea times anymore, do you? And <laughs> if they were at my house, they would laugh. We all have our own teacups or tea mugs. We do it every day. Uh, you know, we live for our tea. And um, the kids do it. I do it. They do it with their friends. Uh, it's a it's a time that documents, we're going to stop, put the adrenaline down a little bit, take a breath of peace. And um, yeah, and I would do individual tea times with my kids. I would either do a piece of cinnamon toast, which I talk about in the book. I have all these recipes. Or I would freeze cookie dough balls and just do one dough ball if they needed it. Um, you know, make their own cup of tea. Uh, would go into my bedroom over 15 minutes. They'd have their cookie and I'd say, how are you? Or I've noticed this or what's going on, especially in their teen years. But again, it's just that rhythm that says we are going to do this today. Uh, we are going to stop and make our relationship a priority. Well, it also, you know, it creates that identity as this is something the Clarksons do. This is yeah, right. who we are. Mm-hmm. And it just gives kind of like, um, so here in Texas, there's a school called Texas A&M. And <laughs> there may be people listening who are like, you know, boo or gigum, whatever. Everybody has strong feelings basically about Texas A&M because they have these amazing traditions and whether you're AM fans or not mm-hmm. they you cannot deny the awesomeness of their traditions everybody knows what to do and it, it just i don't know it, it lends a sense of um i don't know almost not not power, connectivity, yeah, connectivity accountability <laughs> yeah just just oneness and yes. and and you and not in a bad sense but they they are on the inside and you are on the outside. And that, that sounds like a bad way to put it, but it makes no. everybody then that goes to that school feel like, you know, you may have been the last person accepted to the school, but when everybody does all the little things that they're supposed to do, whenever the, you know, touchdown mm-hmm. is made or whatever happens, they feel so connected and everybody is so proud of having gone to A&M. And, mm-hmm. you know, just those traditions are so incredibly powerful. Even, you know, like you were saying, when your kids are off in places all over the world, you know, I'm having my tea time right now. And mm-hmm. I know that when it's my, you know, the right time for my mom to have it, she's going to be having it. And my brothers and sisters are going to be having it. And it just creates that unity that is well, so powerful. It's so true. And first of all, I have to say, do you know that three people in my family graduated from Texas a him. No. <laughs> My father was the president of his class and they called him Slick. <laughs> <laughs> but um, no, so I, I understand that. But um, yeah, it's funny. Even now, I will do these FaceTime calls or Skype calls with my kids, usually FaceTime. And we'll say, wait a minute, let's both get a cup of tea. And so now <laughs> we have internet tea times. Um, you know, it's just kind of so, in, uh, it's such a part of our fiber we can't imagine life any other way. So uh, I do like that you understand agginess. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, I didn't go to A&M, but I, I have often said that if my kids don't go to Baylor where I went to school, then A&M is my number one Texas school that I want them to go to. <laughs> and if you're listening and you're a Longhorn, bless you. 
Love Clay is that. one. He, okay. he was a foreigner who entered into the Texas A&M culture. <laughs> <laughs> so what are some other fun traditions that you've done with your family? I know you have like a Christmas thing that you do and you have a family day. Tell us a little bit about some of those. Uh I decided years ago that I had too much to do on Christmas. I mean, there were so many things to do and wrap and stockings and this and that, because we do like to celebrate life a lot. And so I said to Clay, we should have something really simple on Christmas Eve, something that will be memorable, but that won't require me a lot of work. And so we came up with what we call the shepherd's meal. And a lot of people have copied it, but I, because I'm a bread maker, it's easy to do. And uh, you can just go to the store and buy some great bread, but uh, I would make some herb bread uh, early in the week, and um, then I we would have uh, we would turn all the lights in the house off, and just light candles, and we would have a very simple meal. We called it the shepherd's meal. It was it was potato soup and nuts and fruit and bread, and then we would tell the shepherd's story. And it was the kids will not have Christmas Eve without the shepherd's meal. And um, it's not a big elaborate meal. Uh, it didn't take us forever to make it, but it became the lights off remembering that the first people Jesus came to were these humble, um, wonderful shepherds out underneath the stars. And so um, every time literally that they eat potato soup anywhere in the world, they have this immediate warm feeling, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> kind of like you did about grapefruit. Um our uh, we have Sunday afternoon tea time. Still do every single Sunday. You have either your cinnamon rolls or your cinnamon toast or whatever you bought at the store, whatever you can make quickly, and a cup of tea every single Sunday afternoon for our whole lives. Uh, family day we just had. That's why we brought all the kids together. We uh, start out with um, some kind of caffeine, which we we believe is spiritual, <laughs> um, but um, tea or coffee, and then I make these. Polish eggs is what I call them that I wrote the recipe of in the book and cinnamon rolls, homemade cinnamon rolls that I usually have frozen at this point. And then we read the the story about Joshua's memorial stones. He said, we need to remember the things that God has done. So when people pass by this pile of stones, they can remember that God parted the Jordan River. And uh, so every year we read that story and then we write down what are the ways we have seen God's faithfulness and his fingerprints in our lives the year before. And we have a history of this from literally about 30 years ago. And um, then after we've all written down what we have seen God do, then we give prayer requests to each other for the next year. And it all takes a little bit longer than you want it to, um, with seven of us now. But then we pray for one another. Uh, Sometimes we do the praying at night, and then we go up to this beautiful place near our home. It used to be other places when we lived other places, but it's Mueller State Park, and we go hiking, and we take a whole bunch of pictures, and we eat this wonderful version that I've created of fried chicken, Texas sheet cake, uh, or chocolate chip bars, and uh, usually baked beans and and, uh, some kind of chips, and um, iced tea, and then we have so much fun picnicking, and then we Go home by a coffee shop. It's a whole day affair, but it's a way of saying our family has noticed and seen the fingerprints of God every year in our lives, and we will believe in His faithfulness this year, too. That's beautiful. I love that. What this does, I feel like, is it's just such a natural way to bring our families together in such a disconnected society. 
when mm-hmm. everybody's running everywhere and we have phones and people are on them and connecting with people all over the place, we all just need to eat. You know, it's exactly. if you cook something, people are going to come to you. You know, yeah. it's it's like it's like you know, flies to the little bug thing. Yeah. If if you cook something yummy in the kitchen, whether it's homemade bread or whether it's frozen bread that you heat up in the oven. Um, when my kids smell the bread cooking, they come to the kitchen. And, and you know, when we're trying to do so many big things sometimes to draw our families together, planning a big trip to Disneyland or whatever it is, sometimes it's the small, consistent things that are truly the things that everybody remembers because there aren't the expectations around them. You know, if if, if it's some big Disney vacation that we're trying to make memories with our family with, then, you know, somebody could get sick or whatever could happen. But by doing these simple things, just lighting candles at dinner time, or, mm-hmm. you know, you know, obviously the, the family day is, is a big thing, but it's something that you do every year. And that is something that's that you keep simple, even though it's super powerful and super memorable. And mm-hmm. I just love just the traditions and, and the sense of belonging uh, mm-hmm. that it all creates. Um, and also, I like that it doesn't take a lot of effort. It just takes a little bit of intention. Right. It's just mainly that it's a habit. Mm-hmm. It's like everything else. Whatever your habits are is what you'll do. And um, yes, it has put more pressure on me as the mom uh, to create that. But because I really believed that I wanted them to feel the the love of Jesus, the creativity of Jesus, the um, the security they have in his love, then I wanted to become that to them. And I think all great things that we do require more work than we ever imagined. But in the end, if we're investing in the things that matter, the work also was a part of making it happen. Mm -hmm. And, you know, just like spending time with Jesus and growing in our relationship with him makes everything else in life easier. By investing in our relationship with our kids, having that relationship makes everything else easier. Oh, it's so true. And, And it's, it's something, it's like the thousands of meals. It's like laying a brick in, in the foundation of a large um, home uh, that when you spend time with Christ every single day, the little brick adds up to a great foundation. And it's the same with meals. Um, one little meal at a time where you're loved adds up to a foundation of feeling loved your whole life. Mm-hmm. Mm. You know, just in reading your book, it just made me feel warm and cozy and I cannot wait for the next meal with our family. And, and <laughs> I know my son is going to love it. So for the, the, the mom listening and she's like, okay, this is great. Where do I start? If I want to do something tonight, what, what, what are some simple things that she can do to nurture this? around? Well, first of all, she should read the book. <laughs> well, of course, of course, that being a given. Because <laughs> I feel like I need to tell you the whole book right now. Um, I think that the most important thing is preparing your heart. To say, okay, maybe we have fussed at our table. Maybe we have allowed rudeness or, or maybe we've allowed comments that are cynical that have hurt people. And I think it's, I think first of all, a mom needs to write down what does she want her table culture to be? What, write down goals for her table? Because, uh, if you have it in your mind where you want to go, it may take a while to shape that. But, um, the more clearly you establish your vision, the more easily you'll be able to move forward in that vision and shape the conversations. No, not this, this, no, not this, this. It's a, it, it is a, um, it's a, you have to look at it as a long term. It's kind of like being an athlete. You start out with, uh, 
just basic exercise. You have to build your muscles, then you have to learn the rules of the game, and you have to practice the game, and eventually you're a strong athlete um, or a piano player, whatever. Same with table. Um, it it starts with an, if you listen to this and you decide I want to make a difference in my family, that's the place to start, and then start shaping what you want to have happen, and learning to initiate and learning to be the one who kind of provides the atmosphere that's going to take place over a period of time. You know, it's just so great because this is the easiest place to start, you know, for the mom who may have not ever heard of you before or read any of your other books yet, which if that's you, go buy all of Sally's books because they're all amazing. But this is sort of like a, a um, I don't know, a built-in way to do it because everybody's going to come to the table. So you don't need to gather anybody. It's not like you're starting something new where you have to get everybody dressed to go into the car. Everybody's going to come when there's food. And so you can just start it so simply and so easily and just doing one thing at a time. Um, Sally, where can people find you and where can they get a copy of the book? Uh, we have, uh, you can get a copy of the book at most bookstores like uh, Barnes & Noble, Amazon, um, Family, Christian. I mean, just the different places that you would normally buy a book or order a book. And I would love to have people join me. We're going to be doing a a book study on the discipleship principles that we talk about in the book, how to shape your kids, how to shape their, their, um, their words, their thoughts, their messages, um, their academic, um, uh, uh, vision for their lives. And, um, so we're, uh, Chris and Kill and I do a podcast together and we're going to go through, uh, eight weeks of training and ideas and recipes for how to implement mentoring through tables uh, in the next few weeks. Um, so they can find me at sallyclarkson.com or at home with Sally and friends. And I hope you're going to join me there too, Kat. Oh, absolutely. That sounds amazing. And and they can sign up for that and find out more about that at either of those websites, right? Yeah. The most important place to go to is sallyclarkson.com okay. and that's where they'll find all the information. Awesome. Well, I'm excited too because my 13 year old, as I mentioned before, is a huge baker and she is really excited to get her hands on this book and to start baking some of this stuff. So. Oh, fun. Awesome. Well, just I hope it goes well. I live in the mountains and I hope my recipes are worthy of sea level, but um, hopefully uh, because she's a good cook, she'll know what to do. <laughs> well, we've made, we've made your um, biscotti, I think. Before, oh, and it's always uh -huh. turned out really well. So anyway, Sally, thank you so much for being on the show today. I really appreciate it. Oh, I love being with you and I can't wait to see you sometime soon. I hope I wish. All right. Well, say hi to your family for me. I sure will. You too. All right. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye. Okay, y'all, isn't Sally amazing? I just feel like every time I talk to her, I want to go buy some candles and light them and have some wonderfully beautiful music playing and gather my family together. I feel like because of her wisdom and her experience, she makes it all feel so much more simple and less chaotic than I feel like it often seems to be as I'm scrolling through Pinterest or Facebook and I feel like there's so many things I should do. Sally's such a wonderful reminder that it's really about the relationship and cultivating a relationship with our kids. So I hope that this episode was an encouragement to you and I want to keep encouraging you. So I would love it if you would head over to inspiredtoaction.com forward slash friends so that while we are on this Inspired to Action podcast hiatus, that uh, we can stay in touch. 
I have a lot more great things for you. I want to keep encouraging you in this motherhood journey. And I would also love it if you would check out the Hello Mornings podcast. We have a lot of content on there for moms, as well as for women in pretty much every stage of life. I have a sometimes co-host in Heather McFadden, who has her own podcast called the God-Centered Mom Podcast. And I think you'd really love our conversations and the things that we share about building a life-giving morning routine on the show. We also have great episodes coming up with uh, Katie Davis and Jess Conley and Trisha Goyer and all these wonderful people. And we also have an episode that's already recorded that you can listen to right now with Carrie Job. So go check that out. Hello Mornings, Kat Lee, look it up wherever you're listening to this podcast, and I'd love to have you join us. All right. I'm so proud of you, and I look forward to bringing you more great content in the future, and I hope that we can stay in touch. So in the meantime, go and be awesome. Thank you so much for loving your family and for fighting for your kids and for fighting to be a great mom. Copy at iTunes, Amazon, or jenstanbro.com.